0: Welcome to the DLC Dallas podcast where we talk about the topics from the BGOCC each week on Thursdays and Fridays. We're here on uh, Monday, September 23rd. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, 24th. 24th. Oh, now
1: the
0: podcast is a lot of days. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's always that we record on Mondays, we edit by by Wednesday and we release it by like nine. We try to release them by nine, but yeah. we always try to get them out mm-hmm. on Wednesday before beforehand.
0: Yeah, uh, Well real quick introductions. I'm Michael Sewell. This is. I'm Daniel Shea.
1: And I'm Rebecca Easton. This is the second episode that Daniel's an official co-host now. Yeah, welcome Shay. Woo. And one day I'm gonna figure out which name I'm gonna be calling you by. Uh, what do you
2: prefer? Most people call me Shay. Okay. Um, because there are lots of Daniels and not, there is. not
0: nearly as many Shays. <laughs> maybe they're just telling you to shave. Like maybe no, I'm just getting should,
2: should I call you Shu instead? I've been called Shu. <laughs> there was a Russian professor at the history department that called me Dr. Velikanova, if you're out there. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> so.
1: Speaking of nothing to do with Russia at all, uh. So let's get into uh, past events, and then we'll talk about upcoming events. So right. past events, uh, not a whole lot going on. It's kind of a slow month, but Industry Giants did happen. Shay and I went, and there was a lot of good talks. So they started on Friday with, and we have our little thing here, with Stephen Montaneri, who is this incredible concept artist. A couple of our members were there to either, one, run the show, or just to, because they had a pass. And they said they saw some of the most beautiful artwork they'd ever seen in in a long time. And in particular, in this score, people were just freaking out over his book covers. And now all of the writers in our club are like, how do we get him to do our book cover? (laughs) So put in the hard work, you know.
0: He does beautiful work. Uh, Actually, I went to college with his daughter. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's Martinier. Uh I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it. I'm sure he would clarify if he was here. <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't talked to her in a while. Let me see how she's doing. But yeah, beautiful concept art, beautiful artwork. Mm-hmm. He's always done incredible work.
1: Yes. Uh so that he was the first talk on Friday. They did that at 7 PM until 9 PM. And then on Saturday they had David Igo. So we didn't make it to all of them. I had family in town, so I didn't make it to all of them. But David Igo, he is from Naughty Dog, and I believe he's also a concept artist, so he's sharing some of the stuff that was going on there. He had Richard Loy loys Lloyd? L-Y-O-N-S? Lyons. Lyons, probably. Richard Lyons, who... Oh, I, I walked in briefly and I didn't actually get it but one of our members said they had some extreme thoughts on his content <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't entirely there then there was lunch and that was kind of an interesting affair because they, they, they had like it was weird they had eight lines for to get food and then they went down to two lines for drinks so everything slowed down dramatically mm. <laughs> it was so weird and then there was Leela Man- Man- Martinez, yeah, she comes from Mexico City or Mexico, and she was talking about her her entire process. It was, it was really interesting the way that a lot of them did it, because they gave enough of a, of like who they are, and then they kind of moved into their topics. So for her in particular, she was talking about what you do when you're storyboarding, like right? how you look at things, how to stage a scene, how to take advantage of the foreground and background. That middle ground that a lot of action happens in, right? If you're if you're working with very small space, you want to make the use the foreground to make it look bigger than life than it actually is. You know, so there's a lot of interesting things on there. One of the parts that I said I wanted to find was Old Zilla. So she had three three titles that she'd worked on. One of them was like Duck Duck Goose or something like that. And then like the very last one, it was like a flash for a second, but it's called Old Zilla, which there's a picture now in the Discord. <laughs> God, godzilla God, so, uh, and it oh, all an hold yeah. on it goes like it, it says like now with a uh, it goes now with man boobs <laughs> he's, <laughs> so
0: like it, back, he's like holding his back
1: he's like leaning on a building he's like That's
2: pretty good. back in my day she <laughs> went through first. several iconic movie scenes oh yeah and showed some design principles that went into them and like how mm-hmm. everything's very, very intentional, keeping the eyes moving as little as possible when you're changing right. mm-hmm. scenes and stuff. Probably. Like the T2 chase was a lot of fun to go through. And-
1: yeah, there was a there's another one. Oh, shoot, the one that caught my attention was the dialogue section, mm-hmm. where she's hearing a lot of the dialogue and how that, uh, and how a lot of people don't want to do dialogue scenes because it's very, very boring. And when I, when I mentioned dialogue scenes, I mean... Not, like, person talking and running at the same time, but it's often when the person is going, like, they're sharing monologues. Right. And they're sitting down, and it's just a very stationary scene. A lot of people don't like to choreograph those or deal with them because it's just, it's kind of boring and dry, but you have to figure out as a storyboard artist or as the director on how to, like, liven up that
0: scene. Right. And right.
1: that's that's kind of what she went through on that was she did, in particular, Mission Impossible, where they're in the like aquarium space at a restaurant that's got a lot of fish in it. And she was walking through on like the different cuts that they were using, the different kind of camera angles to add life into the scene. It was really cool. Then there was Brian Godwin. He's a VFX and he went into more about studios and how to set up a studio and and pretty much the business side of things. I didn't stick around for that because... I was done with business for the week. Yeah. <laughs> so I was done with that. And then Ron Clements, and that's the one that definitely had the biggest t- turnout because it was the last talk of the entire thing. It was both design, big design conference and do scientists right, right. together, and they had a lot of cross-pollination. Uh, Ron Clements, he's the mastermind or one of the masterminds behind The Little Mermaid in that whole series of, of stuff. So, if you know a little bit about Disney history, you know that they've they've had some up and downs prior to becoming the giants that they are. And around the time that they were starting to see a decline, this is after like Sleeping Beauty and the Snow White, right? That series. They re, they managed to revive themselves around Little Mermaid. So Little Mermaid, uh, Beauty and the, Beauty and Beast. the Beast, Aladdin, Aladdin. those movies, those movies kind of breathe life. Back into what mm-hmm. Disneyland is, and ever since then it's just kind of held
0: on. Into what Disney is, you mean? Yeah,
1: yeah that's yeah, what. Not said.
0: what Disneyland is.
1: No, no, no. Into what Disney is? Did I say Disneyland? Yeah, my bad. Um, <laughs> well, been, I mean, it
2: probably also breathed <laughs> life I mean, Disneyland. yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I I went. I've been to Disneyland and Disney World. I've never been to one. I very, very like we weren't super flush for cash going out, but we found ways. Uh, so it was really we found ways. We found a couple of handguns <laughs> and we got in full of fence. <laughs> so we just break down the front gate and just walked in like we own the place. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyways, so he went through and his was a great mixture of animation. Uh, just the history of animation from his point of view and where he started when he was like 14, 15 years old doing it on like little film reels. And Growing up to become like the one of the powerhouses behind a lot of Disney success, and he he hit things on like what was the one that you were super excited
2: about? Oh, um, he, he Under a, the Sea. Yeah, he showed a video of like some preliminary artwork uh, of Little Mermaid, and it was Howard Ashman singing. Uh, and howard ashman is one of my heroes singing under the sea uh, after i guess he and alan menken first wrote it and that was really cool i, I teared up a little mm-hmm. <laughs> yes
1: and he uh sped through the making of moana a little but it, he got fair enough to show you like how so when moana came out there was like that whole yelling about cultural appropriations and everything but he actually showed the entire process in where they went and really learned about the entirety of that culture mm-hmm. before they did that. And that at every step of the way, they would always show it back to the people that they they spoke with the most and get their feedback. And if it worked, they would keep it. If it didn't, they would actually look at ways of changing it. So they took took to heart very much that they were representing a culture and they wanted to do it right. Yeah. And like he says, it's one of the first and only movies that one well not only, it's one of the first movies that was Dubbed in Tahiti? Uh, yes. I forget what the language is. Yeah. One of the first animated films? Yeah, to be... To Translated be, into Tahiti. Yeah, into the actual language of the islands that they were looking at, visiting. So that was really cool. Uh, that was really cool. And that about wraps it up. They had an after-party and everything where you can go on the, any of the talents that they were able to bring, uh, some that could stick around. Uh, one more thing about, about stuff... Steven there, is he was actually also a part of Artist Alley. And so you could go and buy a lot of his prints if you're interested in it. Uh, so that was, that, that wraps it up. So Industry Giants is really cool and just where they're able to go out and bring in, as I say, the giants of the industries to come and just, I don't know if after you felt it, but, like, after, after Ron Clements, I was like, oh, man, one day I want to be the person standing up on that <clears> stage, right? And that, that's always, like, the sense I get from any of these kind of conferences that I go to, if it's GDC, uh, PAX, or whatever. I always get the sense that one day I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be the person on that stage, and people are going to come see me, right? And that's kind of where what I felt like a lot of those people, and it, it especially showed in the Discord where people were like, I want him to do my book cover. Like that That's kind of the motivation they're trying to bring into these things.
2: One of the other things uh, Ron Clements showed that I thought was just a hoot, um, apparently, the, these animated features, they like film them out. Oh, before yes. They go through and animate them. Yeah. With, and so they have the animators often just mm-hmm. stand in as the actors. And, oh, man. Some of the...
1: That was very popular.
2: Top-notch. Top Top-notch.
1: So what... what old animation used to do is they would do a live recording session. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't remember or if you can't, if you don't know, uh, Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. the girl who played, they, they had the stand-in actress. They actually based the actress off of, the, the character model off of the actress that was playing Alice in Wonderland, the um the live thing so once the live thing is done then the animators would go and play that film and draw kind of over it in order to kind of make sure that it's called
0: rotoscope them.
1: yes you got yes. it yes you got it I'm talking to the yes. <laughs> so it was really cool he was sharing that off and it was actually pretty funny because it was a scene from Hercules
2: mm-hmm.
1: in where he's fighting the Hydra and they got very creative on how they were doing it so it was really good mm-hmm. so that's what happened <laughs> here's what's coming up Upcoming, upcoming events, upcoming events, upcoming
2: events, upcoming events, upcoming events,
1: This is the last week of September. So it is the last Tuesday as well, which means we have our beer club. And that mm-hmm. is at Braindead Brewing. It's about 7.30 is when we start. Normally around the time that we end is also when they bring out the console. Specifically the Nintendo 64. So you can play old games like Smash Brothers, GoldenEye. What was the other one that they had there? Miss? Not Miss.
0: Was mist on the N sixty?
1: No, 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 no. There was. Uh, it's something that I keep. I think it's called mist. It's not called mist. What did
0: you do? GoldenEye.
1: GoldenEye, Smash Brothers.
0: Even had Perfect Dark. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, I think that's nice.
1: what I'm. I'm thinking of.
0: What about a, uh, Diddy Kong Racing.
1: I know that they have a racing game. I, don't
0: I think
2: could never get into Diddy Kong racing. Yeah, I was always a Mario Kart guy. Well, I had already yeah Mario Kart, and then I had F-Zero. Oh, yeah. Gone, like 1,300 kilometers an hour, you know. So then was there an day. N64
0: in M- F-Zero? Uh-huh. F-Zero X. Oh, that's right, yeah. It was fantastic. And then the Game Keeper's last console to get one. Yeah. So,
1: nostalgia. So, it, it feeds a lot into the nostalgia. So, if you are wanting to come out, this podcast will come out afterwards, but we still say it anyways. Uh got come a time out. Yeah, come join us.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, and then we have Dallas Society of Play is on Wednesday and it's a show I'm playing. So if you have a game that you've been working on, if you've been doing in the shadows, it's now time to come out into the light and show up your game. So you can get some really good feedback from people that often do this live. It's really cool. And, again, it's a great way of, like, if you need help getting motivation or if you're tired of just kind of working on your own, you can come out and see what other people have been doing and kind of hopefully gain some more inspiration mm-hmm. on it. Uh, and that is it.
0: <laughs> uh, I can say with good confidence that uh, the IGD is going to be hosting. Uh, I cannot talk about Hosting. Hosting uh, or holding a uh, a social gathering um, sometime in October. Okay. And uh, I'll have more information on that as we get more information.
1: Oh, are they trying to bring back their their Halloween party?
0: No, not the Halloween party, but uh, more like a social evening over food kind of event.
1: Okay, okay, awesome. All right, well, and that is everything that's happening in the area. All right, let's go ahead and get into the recap.
2: Recap.
1: Again, it's a very slow because we're getting into once holidays pick up, so I'm talking like November and December, we're going to start seeing a heck of a lot of, of news coming out uh, on games that are going to be released because there's a lot of games that come out around the holidays. Uh, so here are some of the things that we cover. So this one is from Game of Sutra. It is less than two years VR games. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Sorry, I had to start loading <laughs> In less than two two years, uh, in VR game, I expect you to die surpasses three million in revenue. So the makers Shell Games, when they created their game, what, it was released in two thousand sixteen. What passed, was the game called again? Uh, I expect you to die.
2: Okay.
1: I expect you to die. It's called a VR game, and it, if you guys haven't played it. If you haven't played it or haven't seen it before, you are playing as a spy who gets into a lot of trouble and you have to constantly escape. So think of it as just like a giant escape room
2: mm-hmm.
1: game that you're playing, and that's that's essentially it. So they made $3 million since they launched in 2016 just off of this title alone. I believe it was first released on the Oculus, and then it was released on PlayStation VR and Dive by Vive. So they had a really good year and that kind of, I I haven't heard of another VR title that that's gained that amount of success. I know there's a lot, I know with, with the addition of PlayStation VR and stuff like that, which my roommates bought recently, (laughs) now I have PlayStation VR. It's, it's kind of interesting to see, is the space going to explode now that it's far more affordable, depending on what you're going for, like the, the, Rift or the the
0: PlayStation? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's definitely interesting uh, because the PSVR still is is expensive, right? Oh. Like it is on the more affordable side for sure, mm-hmm. but it's still about the same cost as a full PlayStation itself. Oh, so yeah. you have to essentially pay double to also have the VR. Mm-hmm. So it's it's still a barrier to entry. Uh, but I am interested to see which games are uh, really hitting up right now. I know. Um, VR chat is really big, mm-hmm. especially on the the Vive and the Rift on PC. Um, shoot, what
1: was the name?
0: Super Hot that, VR.
1: That's it, yeah. Yeah,
0: Super Hot is on all of the VR platforms, and that is an excellent VR game. If you've ever uh, tried yeah. that one, it's it's a ton of fun.
1: So, in in the difference between the VR version and the console version or PC version of it is, there you're more stationary in the VR version. Mm-hmm. You can teleport around because that's how they currently do it there's not a very good system for walking mechanics in vr yeah because you have 10 even if you do like the the cast or the throw to a new position you can still get very very easily motion sickness
0: oh yeah yeah it's still a thing but super hot uh definitely is it's an interesting way that they've handled it because they've completely removed movement. you don't even teleport around in that you just you're stationary you can duck and dodge you can catch bullets and throw them back. You can
1: I didn't know you could catch bullets. I guess I haven't gotten that far in the game. And yeah,
0: yeah, you can do all sorts of all sorts of stuff, but they just removed a movement the movement as a mechanic. Yeah. But uh, their their core thing is like when you are moving, time is moving. Yeah. So if you're standing still, time is moving extremely slowly. Right. So if you're like dodging, then the bullet will live. By, yeah,
1: yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: It's very cool. Yeah. Uh, I am still interested to see how Fallout VR and Skyrim VR have
1: done it. i will let you know because skyrim vr is one of the games that my roommate downloaded
0: yeah so we'll i mean i that. have it at home i'm just curious how they've done sales wise
1: mm, yeah that's a that's a good question okay uh, next one that we have on our list is from engadget.com one plus and google's crackable games will dish out a thirty thousand dollar prize now, it's not like an actual $30,000 prize. It's more like we will give you a rig, a gaming rig, that is worth $30,000. Uh, the game Crackable OnePlus, as I learned, is a a phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a phone. I, I don't keep up with trends anymore. It is a phone, and Crackables is a game that was created for that phone with the help of Google. And they... They, uh, it's one of those things is like, if something's super popular, if you stick the beginning of that thing in front of other words, it gets popular as well. So what is very popular right now? Cryptocurrency. Right. So what do they have here? Crypto challenges. No, it doesn't give you crypto yes. in any sort of way, but you can play a series of physical and digital, uh, play series, sorry, you have to solve puzzles. Right, right. The more puzzles you solve, the quicker it is for you to win the prize. You can win both physical and digital prizes, including a $30,000 game setup. If the first 1,000 people to make it through the first three challenges will qualify for the next round, will they receive a physical microcontroller to continue playing?
2: Hmm. And that's it. Interesting. That is. What it. is a microcontroller?
0: Like a Raspberry Pi or... Okay. Like a programmable, physical programmable interface that you can do all sorts of really, really cool things with. Sky's kind of the limit on that.
1: So, to those that really love puzzle games, you don't mm-hmm. have... I'm not a competition for you. <laughs> <laughs> so have, go have fun with that. Next one is from Kotaku.com. It is about Ninja. Ninja is getting... And, and look at this picture. Nobody else can see this, but look at the picture.
0: So, yeah, yeah, he's got some new magazine. Yeah,
1: so cover, it's, right? it's it, yes, so Ninja got onto the front cover of ESPN, the legend, right. and, yeah, it's ESPN, the legend of Ninja, biggest gamer in the world, that's what it says along the va- side there, it's got a whole bunch of PlayStation symbols, it's got the X, the circle, the triangle, upside down, so it's got a whole bunch of things, and a lot of people are like, really, really, now we're starting to go mainstream. Right. it was just it's it's interesting because that picture of him is very much like the the hero. Like you just, it, it's just a headshot, but right, I feel like right. if you were to like ex, like pan out, he'd be like standing in that classic hero pose. So that's that's a thing. Congrats <laughs> to
2: him though. Yeah, okay. awesome job. Your career is taking off. But you got to know Korea looking at that
0: and like we've been doing this for years, guys. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, ESPN isn't as much of a thing. In- isn't.
1: right no this is clearly way more like you, you gotta look at that as in like uh thank you for bringing that up there's a very very clear cultural difference between how other countries approach gaming and how we approach gaming we're just now kind of getting into into like esports and, and it's becoming it's now becoming popular here right versus in south korea where the moment star it seems like the moment starcraft came into yeah. existence that's when their, their stuff yeah. started taking off.
0: Well, I think the only reason the Ninja got so big was because of how big Fortnite got. Mm. Uh, and I found some, some cool numbers. But in August alone, Fortnite hit 80 million users.
1: Right. Well, his, his claim to fame wasn't
0: just that. Right. He's been streaming since Halo. Well, no, no, no.
1: Stuff, his claim to fame happened when he played with Drake. It, he, he's the gamer that played with Drake. And after that, Drake started bringing on other celebrities to get involved with Fortnite, and that's when his career started to see, like, this big explosion. It was just, like, a happy coincidence that that Drake was playing while he was playing, and the two were just getting mm-hmm, involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where... I wonder
0: if that would keep happening with Drake, considering all of his scandals lately.
1: <laughs> so we're about to get into, like, the scandal portion of this soon. We've got, like, two more, One, two more before we go, three more before we get into, like, the whole scandal thing, uh, scandal stuff here, but... So scandalous! Yeah, so mm-hmm. super, super awesome that we're seeing like kind of the new era of gamers. Did you have the industry is is one thing, but then you also have to look at the consumer side. And now we're seeing consumers that are just their careers are taking off because they're playing games,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Uh, so awesome job to him. One of this was kind, of, one of these is just kind of a jokey thing, but Nintendo is putting out a special Switch for Fortnite already mm-hmm. uploaded. Yeah. And people are like, "Oh, great! So I can buy a Nintendo Switch with a free game already." <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of calling them
0: out on it. Well, I wonder if that includes the PVE mode, which isn't free.
1: Yeah, so it just says here it's a bundle royal, or what I'm writing here. Uh, in game has includes special in game items, a thousand V bucks, and will make the jump into stores and, uh, on the fifth of October.
0: I wonder how many people buy that just for the unique skins that you can only get from that version. Mm.
1: That's a good question. I don't know of anybody that that did the... So when the Note 9 was coming mm-hmm. out? Yes, when the Note 9 was coming out, there was a special on where... I can't remember who was the carrier, but if you pre-ordered the Note 9, you got a special skin with it.
0: For, for Fortnite? For Fortnite? Yeah. Huh. I don't remember that.
1: I don't. I don't know. That was one of the things that I. Remember. I
0: bet that pushed a few units. <laughs> <You said> unit. <laughs> cool.
2: <laughs> <laughs> done with both of you.
1: The next one on here is PlayStation, PlayStation Classic. So, yes. like So you have the NES Classic. What was the other one? The
0: SNES Classic.
1: Yeah, the SNES Classic, and now we're getting the PlayStation Classic. I hope it has which, a pop top. Which is loaded? I know they can't
2: put anything in it because it's
1: small. Which is preloaded? I don't know. I'll get to that in a second. Which is preloaded with 20 games. And was, do you remember the little disc game disc that like what was it? It was the in GameCube. A happy, had a like, tiny yeah, ones. it was GameCube had one. And then there's like so didn't some of them come in like a Happy Meal at one point in time?
0: Uh, I don't remember that.
1: Oh man, or was that when I was living on Guam? It was totally when I was living on Guam.
0: I mean, I <laughs> was, used to get like. Like, sometimes a PlayStation disc would come in the mail with, like, a demo on it. You know, like those AOL discs that yeah. everybody used to get?
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Give one like that. But. Yeah, that but they had PlayStation Magazine mm-hmm.
2: came with mm-hmm.
1: demo discs,
0: too. Yeah, that's right.
1: That was that was kind of used
2: by Twitter. But to answer oh. your
0: question, uh, no, the lid doesn't open. But mm-hmm. it does have the buttons, and they, they feel like the buttons. <laughs> but it's, like, a small... It's They've only announced, like, five games so far. It's, like, FF7 and a couple others that... I'm not as familiar
1: with. If you want to find out more on that, you can go to blog.us.playstation.com. Mm-hmm. It's called Introducing, Play- uh, Introducing PlayStation Classic with 20 Preloaded Games. Then we also have Kotaku's covered with the weather-, weather Channel. I actually saw this clip while I was sitting at work. I turned, and one of the guys constantly has a TV going, and he had the Weather Channel turn, and I went, oh, that's super cool because there is... What they did is the Weather Channel often uses green screen. Yeah, yeah. But this time they had, like, a very realistic simulation Mm -hmm. of what happens as it starts flooding. And while the guy's sitting there, there's, like, you can see, like, a quarter of just, like, a flood behind him and rising up and, like, cars and stuff going up. And it's really cool looking. As it turns out, that is powered by the Unreal Engine. So that entire thing, and this is... the Weather Channel is not known for its awesome visuals, but this time that was pretty sweet, and it's just kind of showing how prevalent now yeah, kind of yeah. our engines are becoming. It started out just for gaming, and now we're starting to see it used in different applications. That's really cool.
0: Yeah, it's it's so fast to work with a with a real time render engine like Unreal mm-hmm. that like even film companies are moving into that avenue. right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that was really cool. Uh, again, that was Kataka. If you like to see it, you can kind of check. Uh, the article is titled "What Started Out as a Typical Weather Channel Hurricane Report Turned Into." Blah blah blah. Okay, uh, that was really cool. Blah
2: blah blah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Blah blah blah. That, yes.
1: is, that was really cool. So that was that's something that's kind of interesting. We should right. release
2: a glossary. <laughs> DLC glossary, <laughs> and you can know what blah 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 is. Yeah, welcome to download. That should be the title of the episode. <laughs>
1: download coffee. All right, so we were talking, again, a little bit about, like, not so much scandals, but things that are going on in the industry, Um, and every now and then we'll hear, like, a studio that is shutting down and and stuff, Uh, the latest studio that's kind of gotten caught up in, uh, and and including controversies, so saying things like what happened with Riot, the breaking open of their toxic culture, Um, so kind of following along that theme theme line, the next one on the hit list, telltales. Telltales?
0: Telltale, Telltale games.
1: Telltale games.
0: I cannot. Yeah, but them. I mean, theirs isn't a controversy like
1: It's not like right. Well, yes, you're right. It's not entirely like a controversy like that, but it, it's just kind of like the opening of a whole bunch of things. So, first part in here is talking about their toxic. Uh, it's again, it, this one's done by The Verge. Uh, Telltale game developers lay off toxic video game industry. That's what it says. But toxic management costs an award-winning game studio its best developer. Oh yeah, that
0: was an article uh, a little while yeah. back. Yeah,
1: so this is, this is an old, this this article was done a while ago. Um, but this is kind of like the oh, the beginning of the end kind of thing, and where the it it talks about kind of their practices. So the article talks a lot about their practices, how they went from developing original IP to turning and developing off of existing IPs. When we were talking a little bit about this before you showed up, which I wish we were recording it because it was some good things. And I'm not going to remember them now.
2: But it's a lot of... It's it, a tribute to the greatest and best song in the world.
1: Yeah. you Never heard of. Uh, so there, there were some things in there, in, in the article, talking about how oftentimes they would set up a ridiculous deadline. Then they would hire a whole bunch of people on to fulfill that deadline, and then in some cases, if they didn't have another project they could put these people on, they would just release them, mm-hmm. right? And in, in doing so, what happened with them is they saw an explosion, like an, a meter, 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 meter thank York. You, thank you. Rise and, and just success, right? Once, once they had huge success with The Walking Dead. And a lot of people would say that's where they really got their started, because mm-hmm. before that, they released a couple of titles, but it didn't really catch any. The Wolf Among Us was kind of the beginning, and then you had The Walking Dead. And that that's kind of where they switched from developing original IP to developing off of existing IP. Right, And then they start chasing down deals with whoever the property existed with, so... Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, what was another one, Batman, mm-hmm. right? All of those are existing IPs and they kind of had to get those deals, right? right? On the downside of it, those games weren't as well-received as The Walking Dead was and they start to see their deals start drying up because they didn't have any other existing titles that really are floating or original IPs that can float them in between those. Right. They saw this huge decline, and it just got worse and worse. And before they knew it, because they exploded so quickly, they weren't able to control how their culture was going. And then you just saw kind of the crumplings from the, from the top down kind of thing. So that's kind of, that's kind of like the history of what happened in the company. Now, to, to put a topper around that, I am not an insider. I don't really know. This is just based off of the stuff that I've gleaned the last couple of days of reading around. Right, um, super popular. Then things
2: happen. Um, what are you guys looking at? <laughs> Matt, Matt's over there, but he's not looking. Yeah. Oh.
0: Okay. Yeah. So uh, to top that off, so now the news is that Telltale has officially shut down. They, they closed are. their doors and. Not
1: not really, uh, but yes. By by the end of this, they they went right, down right. to like twenty five people. They've laid off three hundred people, gone down to a skeleton crew of twenty five. And those 25 will be finishing off the last few games. And then
0: it will close. But there's still a number of IPs that are not necessarily finished out. Mm -hmm. uh, One of which is the Tales from the Borderlands. That and... uh, Which I can't speak to any of the business, stuff on that.
1: That, the Wolf Among Us Season 2, was going to also been announced. And that's no longer going to be there anymore unless somebody else picks it up.
0: Right. But it is uh, somewhat heartwarming to see uh, all these other studios around their area and outside their area reaching out to uh, former, now former employees of Telltale uh, to potentially get jobs elsewhere, mm-hmm. which uh, is something that actually I can, I'm proud to say, is common in the industry. You know, when you see a big company go down or even a smaller company go down, usually there's a big reach out mm-hmm. from other companies uh, to try to help pick those, those people up. Uh, most recently, we saw that here in Dallas with uh, Robot. When Robot laid off over half their staff, mm-hmm. uh, all the other companies in the area reached out to them. We had a social event with them mm-hmm. uh, to try to, or Gearbox had a social event with them to you know, meet our guys and try to uh, you know, see if they're interested in working with us or mm-hmm. you know, any of that.
1: So I want to touch base on that a little bit more, and I'd love to do that in our expansion round. Yeah. Uh, but before we go into our expansion now, let's go ahead and do our shout-outs. So, as always, thank you to Nirvana for allowing us to constantly come here and do our podcast every Monday. It's been a treat. The guys have been super awesome. They always make sure that we have our drinks ready before we even get up here, and it's, that's, that's the best. Mm-hmm. So, thank you, Nirvana, for being so awesome to us. Of course, as always, thank you to Trey. I hope that the sound this time was a little bit better. I played around with the knobs a little and it sounded better when I was listening to it, so I hope it, it helps you out a little bit. And Anwar, who has been who has been on it the, a couple for the last two weeks, we've kind of let some things slide. And Anwar, who's like the last man who handles a lot of the stuff on the podcast, has uh, started coming and going, are you guys doing this or what? So thank you, Anwar, for being so awesome and keeping us on our toes. And... Oh, yes, thank you to Vince Sidwell from a bunch of short guys for inviting oh, both absolutely. me and Daniel out to, to Industry Giants. Uh, it's a shame we weren't able to actually do any recording. We wanted to. We had a whole bunch of things that we wanted to try and do, mm-hmm. but we didn't have a setup, and the best we were going to be able to do was just shove my cell phone into people's faces to try and record them. We decided not to do that in the end. We are just going to like see how they do it. And maybe we can work something out next year where we can be a bigger part of the group than, than we were this year. So we'll see how that goes. But thank you, Vince, for inviting us out. We had a blast. It was great. A lot
2: of fun, yeah. <laughs> and they had a 7-Eleven. Yes. Free,
1: free Slurpees.
2: <laughs> yes, that was awesome. So was thanks, thanks
1: for that. Uh, and that's that wraps up our shout-outs. So let's go ahead and get into our expansion topic. This is where we're talking about something either we're expanding on something in the list that the that the club members have given us, or a topic that we haven't been able to like bring. This is where we talk about it now. In this case, our topic is about what is happens once a studio closes down, mm-hmm. right? Now you said, Michael, that. A lot of studios kind of step up They say, hey, we've got a lot of roles here. For those of you that have just been recently let go, come on in, let's try out. Yeah. Right? Uh, I think on, in some cases, uh, my, my question is on this actually, is when when a studio, because EA and Activision, they, they shut down a lot of studios too, which floods the industry with talent. right? And that's what we're seeing here. 300 people just lost their jobs. And the industry has now flooded the whole bunch of talent. right? The question is, Does the industry have enough work for that, for those, for those people? And can game studios sustain with the larger overhead now that they're bringing in these new talents? Can they sustain the, those people, right? A lot of times uh, when this happens, even though they've brought in those talents, sometimes that game studio is the next one to have the next problem. And they have to start releasing some people out too.
0: Right. But I think that's a, that's a false association to say that like, just because they picked up all that talent from one studio, oh no, no that's not that what that's, I meant. Or, or that one who helps another studio is now destined to be. Oh no, that's the not part, what I was right? trying to get
1: at. There's,
0: there's no association with that mm-hmm. whatsoever, right? Like any studio that falters has its own mm-hmm. own problems that have co- caused their own, you know, issues, right? right? Um, but I mean, it is definitely a valid question, you know. How it it makes it uh, feel like it's harder to break into the industry when you see these big companies implode? Because, as you said, they're flooded with talent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also not necessarily the case that like positions that were going to be filled uh, are suddenly not going, or are, are suddenly uh, being filled exclusively by the talent from other studios. Uh, a lot of times, like we we have a program, a bigger box for uh, hiring talent. Even though there's no position available for it, because it's a what what they would call an opportunity hire. Mm-hmm. It's the opportunity to bring somebody very talented on to help upgrade our team and make our team better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also like a question of uh, which roles they're they're filling. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely hard out there for somebody trying to break into the industry, um, especially in a junior position. Uh, or younger and oftentimes you see that cash when do like you need three years experience or shift titles to get this junior role but you need to get a junior role to get those that three years experience mm-hmm. and get the title and it's I mean, just back I, and forth right there,
1: there's a little secret on that one uh part of it is because they are looking for the people that are willing to take the risk and even if they don't so so one recruiter i i know a bunch of recruiters because of one client that i was working with for a while one of the reasons why they put like that three years mm-hmm need to have a game thing is because they want to put that gate there to see if anybody's willing to chance it anyways, that they don't, right? Because the people that are the bravest are going to be the ones that try.
0: Yeah. And
1: they're often also the ones that are going to work the hardest for you at that point because then they have something to prove to. Right, right. Um, so that it's kind of like a, a little, like, we don't want to be flooded by just opening and saying we have a junior position. We want people to actually think about it first.
0: Right. kind of thing. But... Also, with game dev, it's it's pretty hard. It, mm-hmm. it can be particularly hard. So even those junior roles, they want to hire somebody who's gone through the process of shipping games before. Uh, like they often say, oh, you know, somebody will talk about their past experience, and they'll say, like, oh, I cut my teeth on such and such project, and it it's really like that. Like it's it's a brutal experience the first few games that you're going
1: through. Right, right. Um, right. I I, I want to also touch on the flip side of that. So we have two conversations on the, on this is. If they're unable to get a job in another company, what is an alternative for them? For those that want to still make games, they're going to still make games, right? And they'll go into the indie space. At that point, now you're going to see, at that point, not now, but at that point, you we might see another saturation of the market of indie titles. Whether those are good indie titles because they're coming from a company or from whatever company had recently let them go, or bad indie titles, it, it remains to be seen.
0: Um. <laughs> I mean, it's not necessarily just indie. The, the mm-hmm. common uh, analogy I see is that anytime a studio shuts down, four more grow up. Uh, mm-hmm. A great example would be here in town when uh, Ensemble, the guys who made Age of Empires,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: when they went down, then suddenly we had Zynga Dallas and Bonus XP and Robot and uh, another one mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, some of those have since moved on, mm-hmm. broken apart, some other things, mm-hmm. right? But other ones have done really well. Mm-hmm. Singing Dallas was huge for a while. And that was a bunch of ex-ensemble people starting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what is the other one? Playful Corp oh, yeah. here in town. They did Lucky's Tale. We talked oh, about that recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, A couple other games. So I guess I don't feel like it's necessarily the case that it's going to be harder for somebody trying to break in the industry uh, because another studio closed down. Right?
1: I don't think that's what I was trying to get at. It's more along the lines of, is there enough work for everybody to go around? Right? And that, that's the real question. Is there enough work for, every, for for everybody? And I don't feel like there is. Uh, and that's just for me. And remember, I'm not, in the, I'm not a game developer. I'm not in the space. I'm more along the lines of enthusiasts <laughs> kind of role. But from my point of view, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of work, right? And that might just be because we don't, we don't see the inner workings of every single studio, but we, we're more, uh, we see more of the studios that are struggling, the ones that are shutting down, right? And since, since what, like five years ago, we are seeing more and more studios shut down because of when the overhead's too high for them, the cost of games is too expensive now, like for making games is too expensive now right um studios or publishers aren't getting behind a lot of studios because they don't they want to play it safe versus taking bigger risks right so you're seeing a lot of those and that's that's kind of what consumers are going are going is there enough to go around anymore and the feeling is not a whole lot unless you start going into like indie space where you're seeing more experimental titles
0: well i don't think that's necessarily exclusively the case but mm-hmm. but it can be and Oftentimes, a lot of people, when a studio shuts down, they form an indie studio. It's not because they couldn't find work elsewhere.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: It's because they they want to try running something themselves and seeing seeing that side of it, right? Um, but also, I feel like there's kind of a bit of a journalism discrepancy here. Like, you always hear about the problems, and you always hear about a studio shutting down, but you don't hear about the new studios that come up, right?
1: Well, yeah, but how are you supposed to hear about them?
0: Uh... Generally, you've got to be out there looking for jobs. If you're out there looking for work, you'll pro- probably find some new studios cropping up. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, the, the recruiters that are, are trolling around on LinkedIn and social media all the time, mm-hmm. uh, they're definitely seeing them. But does the consumer need to see every single studio that pops up before they have anything to show?
1: No, that's, the, and that's, that's true, right? The, the, the studio is only a, really a studio after they put out their first game. Before that, they're just a bunch of people kind of working together, right? Right. So once a once a game is put out, then then they're much more viable to be that. And I agree on that on that notion, right? But I also know a lot of people, in particular like me, I love knowing about like the behind the scenes, right? That's that's how like like I said earlier, I I followed a lot of like behind the scenes on some Disney things, mm-hmm. and uh, there's like some titles for some industry or. Some studios that I, that I learned some behind-the-scenes stuff. I like that kind of thing. So I'm going to find it. I'm going to go searching for it. I don't think that's always the case with people. But for me, that would be. Right? So I would love to figure out, learn like from day one, what a studio goes through to that final make. Because at that time, and this is something that even my company is starting to do, is sharing your journey from day one to where you are from the day, you re- to the day you, up to you releasing. It's incredible, right? Because they start sharing idea or sharing their journey and like the struggles that they had. Right, right. Things like, oh, we mismanaged the project, but then we hired this guy who actually knows how to handle project, and now the scope creep that we had happening is gone. That's amazing, right? Or it's more under or it's under control now. And I love I love hearing those kinds of things. Sure. So yeah. I guess for me, uh, I would and for when we go back to journalistic things. Yeah, I don't think people like Kotaku or anybody or Game of Sutra are really going to be following that kind of stuff. Well, Game of Sutra is more like industry people coming in and sharing news. Yeah. Um, yeah. But people like Kotaku, I don't think it is. So it falls back onto the developers themselves to actually put that kind of stuff out there. And coming from, like, marketing, I think it would be smart for small studios that are just starting out to actually start putting that kind of content out there. One, it kind of starts to get uh, what I call the hype train, it starts to build your hype train. And if you're not doing that, if you're just quietly developing in silence and then release your game.
0: Right. And we see that often with indie yeah. titles where you know the marketing clearly was under uh, undervalued. Oh, right, And yeah. then the game doesn't do well because of it. Yeah. Uh, because it just kind of popped up out of nowhere and then but, nobody knew what it was. But right? if you're talking about but, something
1: that's easy to do, just doing a small development blog. And I'm not talking about doing it every single day or doing it every single week. Doing it once a month is more than enough.
0: Right. Most studios, when they're hiring early on, they're not focusing time on that mm-hmm. uh, because they need to they need to hire, you know, multi talented, high value people mm-hmm. to cover multiple roles. And often they don't have they don't place value in that kind of thing early on, mm-hmm. right? Until they're they're getting to that point where they they start to have things to show.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but back bringing it back to the the topic of you know, all the talent that's spread out when a studio closes. You know, we do have sister industries, parallel industries. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got the movie industry, the film industry, and the animation film industry, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and even the TV industry. And people bounce between those industries pretty often. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, Depending we've hired, on where you're, you're... Right. You're, you're, yeah. Well, we've, we've had producers go to uh, uh, HBO, We've had uh, people from Weta come into games. Uh, People, you know, animators can can move between industries pretty easily, but so can writers, Uh, writers, producers, animators, artists, especially, and designers have different avenues and different industries that they can jump into and out of if if Mm -hmm. they want to, right? Um, And programmers, especially, there's always work for programmers. Oh yeah, right. So the I guess the question is like, is there enough game work for everybody? Maybe not. Maybe if you want it, like you're, you want to stay in games no matter what, then you kind of got to forge your own path mm-hmm. a little bit, right? As you're as you're saying with the indie teams, mm-hmm. but there's definitely work that would fit their skill sets.
1: Oh yeah, no, and I, I agree on that one. That's not what I wasn't looking at. Like yeah, I'm yeah. looking strictly in the industry itself, right? I know about all the other things. I, right, I, right. I understand that. Like there, it's easy and to, to your thing is on like people jumping in and out of the industry there's a lot of people that are in games that don't like that they don't like uh the fact that there's a guy who wrote like a really awesome film coming into working with games and that might be the first time people... well then that's big right yeah well meh, right but you're you're also looking at like the people that are because writing for film or writing for games is two different things True. right and you and you if you go to somebody who's spent a lot of time just figuring out how to write for games and they lose it to the person that's only ever done a film, well, then it's down to the, then they look at the game company itself and go, they don't want to hire people that actually know. They just want to hire somebody with a, with a, a name
0: now. Well, it's not necessarily about that. It's oftentimes it's more about uh, bringing in new perspectives, mm-hmm. which is sorely needed everywhere in the industry.
1: And, and I, I understand that. I'm just saying from, from like a different point of view for other people, it's like, well, now now you have these people. We're already struggling to get the work that we want. And we've spent our entire time, our entire lives, figuring out how to do it for games. And then somebody who's never really, who's maybe p- picked up Call of Duty is suddenly developing on a AAA game. So, so I can see from, from that. And I understand what you're coming, where you're coming from. I
0: feel like that's a very naive uh, viewpoint. Mm-hmm. If somebody is is really feeling that way about somebody else jumping in mm-hmm. to one of those roles, that's a very shallow viewpoint to look at it. from. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion.
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> <My opinion. laughs> I'm, I've just heard both sides of it. To be honest, I've always heard both sides of it. Like, oh, I could have done better on that because I know how to how to write or how to do the animation or whatever for it. On on that note, you also mentioned about going uh, industry people going out. I met a lady who was talking about how the movie industry is trying to figure, is trying to learn VR to bring mm-hmm. in a, to open essentially up a new space for movies to be done, and if they're successful in that, awesome. We are also seeing people that are leaving the industry to go and develop on new technology, things like AR. Right, mm-hmm. AR is still fairly a fairly new field, and now you're also bringing in mixed reality, mm-hmm. right, and figuring out how to take advantage of that for multiple. Then you're also seeing uh, instances and in where some developers are creating technology that can help real-world solutions. In the case of like Rob Atkins, I think was, was one person. So Rob Atkins was at Industry Gen. And he was talking about how the game that he made or some of the games that they're kind of putting together are games that will help solve real-world solutions, things like how to cure cancer and, and such. Um, so you, you see the kind of stuff. That's really cool when you see the talent going from, from just making something like a Telltale game to doing something that could potentially have real-world impact. Yeah, that's really cool. So that, those are, like, I, I get where you're coming from, and there's mm-hmm. all these other avenues, and there are avenues that other people don't really think about, like, develop and how to use games. And then you have others that are learning and figuring out how to teach children STEM real easy right. through right. the use of technology. And that's those, those, I don't feel like get enough of attention until something majorly explodes. And then they hear, it. then then you see it on CNN. And then people are like, oh, it got on CNN. Now we need to cover it,
2: kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think one of the other things to consider is, like you said, Fortnite just hit 80 million players. That's not a game that needs. Oh, they, they've hit much
0: higher. Just August alone, they had 80 million. In players.
2: August, okay. But that's not a game that needs that many players to sustain itself. So there's work elsewhere to siphon off some of those.
0: Mm-hmm. Players, right? Like- right. And it also means that, that now, because of their success, Epic ha- it has the ability and they are in a position where they can bring on literally hundreds more people and start new projects or have them work on new advancements for their engine or work in parallel with these other industries to help support those new efforts in those other industries, right?
1: Mm -hmm. So in wrapping up, so we're just gonna put a nice little tiny bow on this because we're kind of getting down to the last few few minutes of this. Mm -hmm. Um, To wrap it up, it's sad to, it's another like behemoth that has kind of gone into its dust spiral and it's sad to see so many of our friends and sometimes families just lose the job they love the most. Mm -hmm you now have to go kind of back to square one, right? And for those people, I wish you the best of luck. I know that they'll either choose, they'll either leave games and go and do something awesome in, in, in another space, or they're going to create a game themselves, or they're going to join an awesome studio like Gearbox or, or Bethesda. Start and... a new
2: one called Square One. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lang-
0: also, I'm pretty sure Square Enix is going to see you now.
2: <laughs> so, all the business I gave them in the '90s
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: should be thanking me.
1: So uh, I it, it's gonna be interesting it's to see talk. what's it's gonna, gonna happen happen after this uh, for a lot of these people, where where they're gonna go. If there's gonna be, if we're gonna see kind of a ripple effect out of this of just new uh, new indie games done by people that have worked at all.
2: Tell-tale, tell-tale, tell-tale. telltale. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So I. We yeah. will be releasing a glossary, maybe, maybe
0: in a month or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get used to glossaries at some point. Look It'll the be buttery
2: there. Rumple's blah, yeah. blah blah
0: blah. What else? Yeah. 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 Uh, <clears throat> Mike Ray Fight Night. We could do that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: all right. Well, that's all the time we have. Remember, you can join our conversation on Discord or Facebook, both of which, and Meetup, which is both Mm -hmm. of which are called VGOCC. You can also come to any of our events that we're having. We're we're usually Thursdays and Fridays. Thursday, we're at Whole Foods and Run a Road. On Fridays, we're at Nirvana, uh, And both clubs start at 8 a.m. Hope to see you guys soon. Have a great morning.
2: Thanks, guys. (laughs) to the video,
1: but you did
2: it. <laughs>